Pinchas, I'd like to do is continue our thinking about the punishment that Moshe Rabbeinu received, uh, was going to receive for the fact that he did something wrong. Well, he did it with Aaron, but we're going to focus on Moshe Rabbeinu. He did something wrong. He hit the rock. It's a speaking to the rock. We don't know exactly what he did, although we try to uh, increase our understanding when we learn when we learn the parasha. But we do know that there's a punishment involved. What well, seemed to us to be a punishment, and that was that Hakadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, "You're not going to be able to enter the land." Now it's not clear to me why this is a punishment. I mean, after all. Moshe Rabbeinu was 120 years old and he was surely going to die and die of natural causes. He had reached the maximum age. So if Moshe Rabbeinu had reached the maximum age and he would, even if he would step into Eretz Yisrael, if he would step into Eretz Yisrael, I mean, he, he would die. I mean, he wouldn't be able to see the Eretz Yisrael that was settled by the Jews because it would take another seven years to conquer the land of Canaan, and then another seven years to distribute it in, a, in an equitable, equitable manner, and then another seven years until you did all of the, uh, all the mitzvot atulot ba'aret. So it, it, it's hardly understandable, like what would Moshe's advantage have been if he got into Eretz Yisrael and then died as opposed to dying where he was right it's not so it's not clear to me what the punishment for Moshe Rabbeinu was nor is it clear why the Torah in two different places here in the parish of Pinchas and also in the parish of Zot Bracha, the last parish of the Torah describes a kind of a uh, something that, that Moshe Rabbeinu received, which was you can go up on the mountain and see Eretz Yisrael. What does seeing Eretz Yisrael do for Moshe Rabbeinu? I mean, if, you, if he wanted to go into the land for some unknown reason, uh, what does seeing the land do that compensates for the fact that he's not going to go into the land? I mean, I suppose, you know, you could have some romantic notion about how seeing is better than nothing or something like that, but that wasn't really the point. The point of Yitziat Mitzrayim was to get the Torah on the way to Eretz, as far as I understand, right? To get the Torah and to apply the Torah to life in the new world, which is Eretz Kenan. So if... Moshe Rabbeinu is not going to participate in that, in any event. He will not participate in whatever is going to go on in Eretz Kenan. Then what exactly was the punishment? And why was, it, why was it produced in the Torah twice? Once here in the parasha of Pinchas, which we will look at in a minute. And then again in the parasha of Zot Bracha, when Moshe Rabbeinu actually disappears from the world. And between those two parashiyot, right, the parasha of Pinchas, which is towards the end of, of Bamidbar, and the parasha of, of Ezot Bracha, which is the end of Devarim, is the parasha of Va'etchanan, 
Vaetchanan in Dvarim, Dvarim Vaetchanan, the second parsha, right? You know that that's Shabbos Nachamu. With Shabbos Nachamu, we read the parsha Vaetchanan. Then you go to the mountains and run around and have a good time because you're so happy that Tisha B'Av is over. So Vaetchanan, El Hashem Ba'edahi Leimor, that Moshe Rabbeinu beseeched God and said, let me go to Eretz Kenan. Now, what was it that was so important about going to Eretz Kenan for Moshe Rabbeinu that he considered not going to Eretz Kenan, even though he was on the Jordan River bank on the eastern side of the Jordan? They would cross, Benazel would cross the Jordan River and get to Yericho. They would be right there, right, right where, I mean, he was there. He was basically there. So let's look at the, the, the psukim in our parasha. So there is this problem about the naming of the, of the mountain, right? Here it's called Har Ha'avarim, right? Har Ha'avarim. I don't know whether that's a name, like, you know, like the name of the mountain or a description of something in the mountain. But what I do know is that in the book of Dvarim it has a different name. If you look at the parish in Dvarim, you see Pasuk Aleph, Dvarim Parak Lamazai, Pasuk Aleph, Vayal Moshem Yavot Moavel Har Nevo. So the name of the mountain is Nevo. And if you asked any child, you know, who learns Parashat HaShavua, where did Moshe Rabbeinu die? The answer would surely be Har Nevo. It would never be, it would never be uh, Har HaAvarim. So what is Har HaAvarim? So we'll see the, the, um, the Ramban deals with that question. Remember the question, what's Har HaAvarim? If he died in Har Nevo, so why would God say to him, An interesting speculation might be that since Moshe Rabbeinu is not really going to die now, that it was a different mountain. Like, you know, don't go up the Har Navo now, go up on a different mountain. It says, go up, meaning now, this is happening now. And you'll see the land which I have given to Bnei Israel. And this was our question. Why does Moshe Rabbeinu want to see the land? What advantage is there? So, uh, if you look at the, now at Dvarim, at the parallel topic, it says, the Pesach says, Vayal Moshe miyavot Moab har nevo. Vayal Moshe. This is where he did it. Vayal is like past. We call it the past tense. I mean, it's like a completed action. Layal Moshe. He did it. It was the tenses in the, in the Torah, as you should know, are not quite the same as they are today. I mean, today we talk about past and future. Right? Those are the tenses, I think, that they teach in Upad. There's past and there's future. Uh, in the Torah, in the Torah, it's more correct to say perfect and imperfect. Where perfect means it happened, it's done, and imperfect means 
it's happening or will happen or will be done. So the Pasuk in Dvarim says, Vayal Moshe Avot Har Nevo, he did it. Rosh Right? This is the this is the place, the place where it was. Have you been sworn to keep quiet? You have also been? I hope you live up to that. So you. <laughs> Especially here. Okay. Okay, look. Uh, so, so the Pasuk says, we're looking at the Varim Perik Lavadalit, right? Moshe Rabbeinu went up on Har Nevo, Rosha Pisga, the head of the head, Asher al Pinei Yericho, I was facing the city of, of Yericho. I mean, we know approximately now where it, where it was that Moshe Rabbeinu was. He was very close to Yericho. He was on the eastern side of the Jordan, you have to remember. You know, Eretz Yisrael, there are two things you have to know. The Jordan River, and Yerushalayim. That's all. Then you have the whole picture in your mind. Right? Yerushalayim is exactly in the middle. And the Jordan River goes up and down. And that's all you have to know. You see that verb? Which is the Hebrew word, Hebrew root, Reish Aleph Hey, which means to see. And Vayarehu means, and he showed him. The question you could ask about that verb is, why does it say that God showed him? He was on the mountain, he was looking in that direction, he saw it himself. What exactly did God show him? There was nothing, there was no mystery here. There was no mystery. He was promised that he would be able to see Eretz Israel. And so he's up on the mountain, he takes a look, he sees Yericho, he knows what he's looking at. So what does Vayar Ehu and God showed him. So you would think that God showed him something that he was not aware of, that he didn't know about, that he didn't expect. Something. God showed him something. That's why Now, take Gilad is something to do with the Golan. Everybody knows today where the Golan is, right? So it's up there, right? And Dan. Where is Dan? If you go on a tour in northern Israel at certain times of the year, you always go to Tel Dan because it's full of water at certain times of the year. Now, a little less attractive, right? A little less water. But you know, without knowing too much about geography, that the Gilad and Tel Dan are the north. Right, so here is Moshe Rabbeinu on this mountain, which is more or less in the middle of Eretz Yisrael, right? More or less in the middle of Eretz Yisrael. You, Yericho, like if you think of the map, you say you draw a line from Yericho to Yerushalayim, so it's a horizontal line. Maybe not exactly horizontal, but you know, we'll, we'll fudge it a little. So he's in the middle. So what did God show him? God showed him the north as far north as you could get because the tribe of Dan occupied 
the most northern piece of territory, right? And the uh, Ramata Golan, Ramata Golan, you remember, was captured by by David Amelech. Was captured by David Amelech, who was not part of the Yoshua Ben Nun conquest of Eretz Israel. It was sort of left out. And David Hamelech jumped the gun. That's why it's called in the Gemara, it's called, it has a name, Kibush Yachid, meaning he conquered it on his own. He didn't wait. He should have waited until everything was conquered, first in the promised land. You know about the promised land? So they were, but he went and he conquered, he conquered the Golan, Aram Tsova, he conquered the Golan before the entirety of Eretz Yisrael was conquered, and that's why it's called Kibush Yachid. Kibush Yachid means he conquered it by himself, on his own. He went on his own to do that. So here's, The next pasuk, I'm reading the pasukim in Dvarim. That call Naftali with Eretz Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim and Menashe. It's very easy. The, the Hebrew map is easy, right? There's Yerushalayim. You, you have it pictured in your minds. Yerushalayim is a middle. It's a dot in the middle of the country. And you know that the Beit Hamikdash, the Beit Hamikdash in Yerushalayim was part of the tribe of Yehuda. Yehuda is Yerushalayim all the way to the south, as far to the south as they go. It's Yehuda. Binyamin is a very small tribe that kind of is connected to uh, to Yehuda. I mean, we've done this before. <coughs> I've done this before. <laughs> Yehuda, right? So it's Yehuda from Yerushalayim into the south, and Binyamin, and they converged. Yehuda and Binyamin both had the territory of the Beit HaMikdash in their inheritance. Yehuda and Binyamin. Above them was Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim and Manasseh, who are the sons of Yosef, who became, somehow, became tribes and inherited, inherited land, right? And so they ended up, uh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. The, the, the Pasuk seems to indicate that everybody got the same amount of land when they came to Eretz Israel, So that if there was a tribe that had more families in it, they got more land. But each family got the same amount of land. Right? Each family got the same amount of land. So now let's look here. Pasuk Bet. Bet called Naftali, Eretz Ephraim and Menashe. So Naftali, in Eretz Ephraim and Menashe, that if you look at Yerushalayim, you're going to the north. Right? You started out at the very top. God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, look at the Gilad, and look at Dan. That's as far north as you can go. And then Hashem said, and now look here, above Yerushalayim, you have a fry with Hashem Neftali, right? They had called Eretz Yehuda Adayam Acharon. Now where's Eretz Yehuda? Yerushalayim and south. Right? All the way. That's Eretz Yehuda. That's Eretz Yehuda. And then it says, Ad Hayam Ha'acharon, they go all the way to the Mediterranean. 
Right, all the land up to the Mediterranean belongs to Yehuda. And then Vet Negev. Et Negev. What's the Negev? The desert. What? The south part of the desert. Good. Excellent. Even further south than Yehuda, even further south than Yehuda, is the Negev, the desert, because people didn't live there. It wasn't the place that people lived, but it was part of Eretz Yisrael. And then there's something special about the area around Yericho, which is called, Yericho has another name, Ir Hatmarim. That's what it's called in different places in Tanakh. What are Tmarim? What? Yeah, so when you go, if you drive on the Bikah today, you drive by Yericho, it used to be in the good old days, when we were uh, when we weren't so peaceful as we are today, you could drive through Yericho and and go up north. Today we're very peaceful, so you can see only see Yericho at a great distance. Like they figured out a way to do that. Then you can't go into Yericho anymore unless you don't value your, your life. So Yericho separate, and we learned about that. We learned that the children of Yericho, I'm sorry, the children of Yitro were given a special piece of land in the Yericho area. Dushna shel Yericho. Because Yericho, that Dushna shel Yericho didn't belong to anybody. It was special. But it's part of Eretz Israel because when Yehuda gave up property for the Beit HaMikdash. In other words, the Beit HaMikdash was built in the property of Yehuda, but it belonged to Am Yisrael. It belonged to everybody. So since it belonged to everybody, it means Yehuda lost. He lost part of his territory. So that territory was made up to him. He got Dushnoshel Yericho. That means in Yericho there was this property that was held in escrow was held in escrow for Yehuda for 400 years. And during those 400 years, who lived there? The children of Yitro. The children of Yitro lived in that place called, in the Gemara, called Dushna Shel Yericho for 400, for 400 years. So, Begat Irat Marim Ad Soar. Soar. Pasuk Dalit. I'm reading from Dvarim, right? I'm reading Dvarim. This is the land. So this is the land is a dectic pronoun. What, the, what is the antecedent of this? What's the antecedent? The north, the center, the south, and Yericho. That's the antecedent. Another way of saying that is everything. That's everything, right? Because it's, uh, the, the Negev is also included, right? There's the north, the center, the south, Yuri, uh, uh, the Negev, and Yericho, which has some kind of special standing. Okay? Bayom Hashem love Zot Ha'aret. Zot, Zot is also, it's a, it's a pronoun, a pointing, right? That's called a dectic pronoun. Zot, and when you say Zot, when you say this is it, this is it, it in modern, modern language it doesn't mean anything. You just say it. 
But in the Torah language, it means only this. This is it. This is the total of the totality. Zota Aretz doesn't mean, hey, you know, this is it. You know, like you talk to a taxi driver. But it means this is it, and there's nothing else. There's nothing else which is, which is Eretz Yisrael at the moment. I will give this land to your uh, offspring. Here it is emphasized again. Means literally, I showed it to you or I let you see it with your eyes. But again, that emphasis. Right, that emphasis in in Pinchas, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, "Re'ei et ha'aretz," and here in Dvarim it says, "Hiriticha be'enecha v'shama lo ta'avor." And we usually explain that pasuk as being a punishment. It was it's like it's like Hashem rubbing it in. They to Moshe Rabbeinu, "Okay, you can see, but you're not going to go there. You're not going to go. You're not going to go there." And then Pasukei Vayamat Shom Moshe Eved Hashem Be'eretz Moab Al Pi Hashem And so Moshe Rabbeinu died Be'eretz Moab Where is Eretz Moab? Where is Eretz the land of Moab? It's on the eastern side of the Jordan River The eastern side of the Jordan River Right? The, the, the nation of Moab bequeathed to us a single uh, inscription a single inscription with, written in Moabite in Moabite so you know if you would like to know the name of a language that you could learn easily and then be able to claim that you know the language perfectly try Moabite because the entire language is contained on one stone which has about 50 lines in it. If you learn the 50 lines, you're a Moabite scholar. Moabite, it's called the Mesha stone. Mesha. Mesha was the king of Moab. What? Where is the stone? Oh, I suppose someplace in the British Museum. I mean, where, where do those stones end up? You know, that's, but, but, but most people who study it Look at a book. Maybe probably now it's on the internet someplace. Uh, you Google. You can Google ancient stones. You know, that get bigger and smaller. But but uh, it's very similar to Hebrew. That that is a little bit interesting. It's very similar. I mean, if you know Hebrew, you can read the the Moabite stone without any difficulty. Was the was the inscription translated? Do they know what it says? Yeah, it's like Hebrew. It's like Aramaic, a little Aramaic, a little Hebrew. It's not like Egyptian hieroglyphs, which they couldn't understand. This, they understood it right away. The letters look like Hebrew letters? Who? The letters. Letters. You said you could read it, so the letters. The letters, I'm not sure if they're written in, in cuneiform. Like a, you know the Ugaritic, there's something called Ugaritic. <laughs> Ugaritic. You know about Ugaritic? <laughs> anyway, 
the Lebanese border on the you know, on the water, there, there are these cities in Lebanon. Oh, it's the northern part of the show. That's also good. Well, not relevant, but good. <laughs> Listen, the Ugaritic guys wrote, they had an alphabet very similar to the Hebrew alphabet. And, uh, Does the stone say something interesting? There's no, no, never. No, there's nothing interesting that came from the ancient world. That's why we left. And we went to the modern world. It's really not interesting. And there's just a lot of pain in getting to read it. It's not like real discovery. In any event, Moab was the neighbors of Canaan to the east of the Jordan River as were the Ammonites, the Moabites, and, you know, other small nations, which eventually coalesced into a larger nation called Assyria. So the little ones all disappeared. The same thing happened in medieval times in Germany and in, uh, in France. And somehow little, little groups couldn't make it. So they had to merge with other little groups and became a big group. In order to become a big group, they had to kill somebody. So that's what happened. That's like world history in a nutshell. <laughs> so you have again this emphasis that the Torah makes on Zota Aretz, Sipasud Zota Aretz. This is it. I'm pointing at it. And that's a special thing. And then the end of that pasuk says, What is hiriticha So let's look at, at the, at the parasha as it is in our, the psukim as they are in our parasha. So in our parasha, he says, but he doesn't mean it. Because he didn't go up now. He went up at the end of Devarim. This is not, this is something else. So Rashi says, Rashi, where's Rashi? Rashi. Right, you know that Rashi follows Chazal. Wherever Chazal say that there is some special interpretation that derives from smichut parashiyot, from the fact that two parashiyot come next to each other or one follows the, the previous one, that that smichut parashiyot is a correct interpretation of pshat, according to Rashi. I mean, it's something that is noteworthy, the order of things. Even though Rashi did not ascribe to the idea that the Torah is chronological necessarily. But Rashi ascribes to the idea that ein muktam umuchar Torah, meaning that there is no chronological. It's pretty boring, right? <laughs> if I were you, I'd say yes. <laughs> so listen, uh, the, the, the uh, 
Rashi did not ascribe to the idea that the Torah was necessarily written chronologically and that he did ascribe to the idea that Ein Mukdamu Mulchaba Torah, which means when necessary, you just ignore the order. It doesn't really mean anything. The Ramban was his adversary on this point. The Ramban thought that the Torah was always chronological unless the Torah said that it was not chronological. Where the proof is from the, from the, the book of Bamidbar if you remember, that the first passage of Bamidbar said it took place and then further on in Bamidbar, where it talks about Pesach Sheini, it mentions that it was B'chodesh HaRishon. So B'chodesh HaSheini comes before B'chodesh HaRishon, so the Gemara says that means So Rashi says, oh, it must be a principle of interpretation. The Ramban says, no, wherever the Torah, wherever Chazal say that, so that's the way it is. But if Chazal don't say it, so you, you have to assume chronology. So Rashi says, What happened before this parasha? Well, HaKadosh Baruch explained to Moshe Rabbeinu how to divide up the land. Divide up the land with Shvatim and Mishpachot. Shvatim tribes, Mishpachot families. Kevan Shamar HaKadosh Baruch since the Kodesh Baruch directed Moshe Rabbeinu to give the land to them, Amar, Moshe Rabbeinu thought to himself, he came up with this remarkable idea according to Rashi, Amar, God just told me, directed me to inherit for them or to give them the inheritance, give them the inheritance, Shema Hutra Gzerah, so if I'm already dealing with the inheritance of Eretz Canaan, maybe God changed God's mind, so to speak, and that the original statement that I would not be allowed to go to Eretz Israel has been reversed, and I am now allowed to go to Eretz, Eretz Israel. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said according to Rashi. God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Hu omedet. So he said, no. That's what this is. Hashem el Moshe. Why did God say this to Moshe at this time? Because this is not the right time. Moshe Rabbeinu is not dying yet. He's not going up. That's in Dvarim. That's another you know, wealth of parashiyot that have to go by before we get to the death of Moshe Rabbeinu on Sukkot, on Simchat Torah. I mean, that's the parish that we read on Simchat Torah. So why does it say it here? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was led to think something that was not correct. And what was it that was not correct? That he thought that God had changed the, uh, the punishment. How did, why did he think that? Because God was giving him instructions about what to do in Eretz Yisrael. How to divide up the land. So if he had to divide up the land, that must be, mean that he's going to do it. He's going to do it, he would be there. So, it, so he decided, he thought to himself that, that the Kodesh Baruch Hu had decided not to punish him. Then Rashi says the Barachir, alternatively, right? This is also part of the study of Rashi. When does Rashi say two commentaries or comments when one would be sufficient? Here he said, Moshe 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 Mo
Samach Ramar. He said, since Moshe Rabbeinu, remember, Reuven got Chatzi Shevet Menasheh, they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said to him, we have a lot of flocks and we have, to, uh, we have to do something, we have to take care of them. We'd like to set up camp right here, right where we are. Where were they? On the eastern side of the Jordan River. So they said, this is good for us. So Moshe Rabbeinu made a deal with them and the deal was that they would have to go with the rest of, of, of the Jews and conquer Eretz Kedan, and then they could come back. Meanwhile, they could leave their flocks and their wives and children here, and later on they would come back and they would settle uh, that part of Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, Since Moshe Rabbeinu was standing in Eretz Yisrael, right? You have to be a little bit of a, of a yeshiva student to understand that. Since God and Reuven, B'nai Reuven, God and kind of inherited the land that they were in on the eastern side of the Jordan River, and since by inheriting the land it became Eretz Yisrael, like somehow it was perhaps an afterthought. It wasn't originally going to be Eretz Yisrael, but it became Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, hey, gee, I'm in Eretz Yisrael. I'm standing in Eretz Yisrael, so I'm standing in Eretz Yisrael. That, 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 it must be that God has abrogated the original decision to prevent me from going to Eretz Yisrael. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh, look at that. Uh, it must be that the neder, that the uh, oath has been undone. So then Rashi says, Mashal, I mean, quotes, quotes Chazal, quotes the Medrash. I mean, it's not perfectly clear. The king told his, I guess, wayward son, you can't come in anymore. You can't come in to see me. Like, what exactly the Paltin? Paltin is, is a word that often is translated as Armon. You can't come into my castle. You can't come into my castle. So the king went, started walking, and he came through the gate. And the son was following him. Uh, and he came to the great hall, Traklin. And, and the son was still following him. When he came, and this is uh, explained by the Mepharshim as being his room, the room that the king, I guess, sat in or sat on a throne. He came to sit on, went into the Keton. In other words, from now on, here you're not allowed to come. In other words, the son, son following the king, thought that if he got through the gate, that he got through the vestibule, that he, got, that he was that he would get to, that, the, the, that the, uh, the oath had been abrogated. So the king said to him, okay, you know, you could come up to here, but from here on you're, you're forbidden. So you have this theme, you have this theme in, in Rashi, that somehow, because of what had happened, now this is a very interesting thing if you think about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu as the leader, the appointed leader of Am Yisrael, had the power to, uh, to argue 
with God and be victorious. It was if you ask, if you would ask me, what was it that, that uh, Moshe Abedin was appointed to do? So I think most people would answer, well, he was appointed to take the Jews out of Mitzrayim and to bring them there to Israel. But the question that I'm asking is, what was it that he, what was his ability? What was special about Moshe Rabbeinu in terms of fulfilling this shlichut, this, uh, uh, this objective? What was special about Moshe Rabbeinu? So we see, if, after the Chet Egel, after the sin of the uh, golden calf, of the golden calf, you see God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Okay, well, we'll just wipe these out, these, you know, bunch of cockroaches, don't, we don't care about them, and we'll start over again, and you'll be the father of a great nation, and everything eventually will work out fine. So Moshe Rabbeinu argued and was vindicated in the argument. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu had that power. Moshe Rabbeinu was appointed to be defense attorney for Am Yisrael. And since HaKadosh Baruch Hu appointed Moshe Rabbeinu to be defense attorney for Am Yisrael, it was unreasonable to think that he would ever lose an argument. How could he lose an argument? I mean, he's not a hired hand. He's directed to be the defense attorney to for B'nai Yisrael. This, I think, is what Rav Nachman Abraslav said in a, in a Torah that I also like to quote. But Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman meant to say, even though he may not have said it quite in those words, he meant to say that Moshe Rabbeinu was given this power, the power to defend B'nai Yisrael in situations that are absolutely undefensible. How could you defend B'nai Yisrael who just received the Aseret that they broke, the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments say, do not, and they went and do. I mean, how could they, how could you defend that? There was no mystery here. Everybody saw it. There, was, there were witnesses galore. They knew that it was forbidden because they had heard on Har Sinai, they heard Hashem speaking the first two Dibrot. So how could you ever defend that? So Moshe Rabbeinu had a defense. He said, Lama Yom We just read yesterday. No, it was a Tanis Sipur. What, you know, the nations of the world will say that God is not powerful enough to carry out his design. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. Now, without the, trying to figure out why that worked, how it worked, we, all we know is that it worked. That Moshe Rabbeinu had this ability, had this ability to defend, defend B'nai Israel in impossible situations. But Moshe Rabbeinu did not have the ability to defend himself when he did something wrong. That wasn't what he was granted. That wasn't why he was appointed. He was not appointed. He was not appointed to, uh, to uh, transgress or to do things that are wrong. So that I find it difficult to understand why Rashi, why Rashi thought that this was a reasonable interpretation. Again, where is Rashi coming from? He's coming from Chazal. And Chazal said, Lama Nismicha. Why is it that, that uh, the idea of dividing up Eretz Kenan generated 
these psukim about where Moshe Rabbeinu is going to die. So he said that in the, in the there's this hidden part of the Torah, right? There's this part of the Torah that is not spoken, that connects these two parashiyot together. And how does it connect the two parashiyot Because Moshe Rabbeinu was mistaken about, about what was really going on. What was really going on was that Moshe Rabbeinu was the person who was going to know about dividing up the land and we pass it on eventually to Yoshua Binun. Pass it on to Yoshua Binun, but it didn't mean that anything had been changed about his status and about his future. It had not been changed. It remained exactly, it remained exactly the same and the punishment remained exactly, exactly the same. So I have this difficult Rashi. I think it's a difficult Rashi. Uh, the next Pasuk, Pasuk Yud Gimel, Ra'ita Ota. Ra'ita Ota. Again that word. Right, Ra'ita, and you will see it. Vene'esavta elamecha. Vene'esavta elamecha. I mean, it, it, it must mean something. Vene'esavta elamecha. That's, you know, as you know that that somehow we think that death is inclusive or exclusive. Like, you know, people die adjoining the great Am Yisrael in the sky. Or they're not. So when Asafta means, but don't think that something about your status in history has changed. You know, you did something wrong. You're going to be punished, punished. But the connection is missing for me. What do you mean? is one thing. We already had that in the previous pasuk. That's a statement about the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu still has superior status exalted, special. He's a special person. V'nesavta el amecha. And then, gamata, kasher nesavta Aaron achicha. So by the by, an editorial comment would be that Aaron HaKohen also was redeemed somehow. Don't think that by being punished, his stature was somehow impugned. It was not. It was not. Aaron was Aaron and Moshe was Moshe. So now, if you look at the, at the Ramban, you see the Ramban? Uh, okay, first the Ramban. The Ramban deals with the question of Har Avarim. Remember the question of Har, why is it called Har Avarim? If it's really Har Nevot. That's its name. So why is it called here Har Avarim? The Ramban deals with that. He says, Shema Arazeh. Ar Nevo, its real name is Nevo. Kasher Piresh Beseder Ha'azinu, Uvizot Abracha. So he quotes two psukim, in which the mountain that Moshe Rabbeinu died upon was called Nevo. Nevo. Aval Yikru'u Oto Haradavarim, Mibnei Shehu Alba Barot Hayardain. It somehow it goes, it, it, it looks over the passageways through the Jordan. Now, there were places you could f- 
forged the Jordan River. And so it looked over those places. Knows that the Har Avarim, it's called Har Avarim, also an alternate name, because it was it led you to the path that would get you to Yericho. Asher al Yericho, that's what it says, facing Yericho. Visham and that's where they went across the Jordan River. And the people came up from the Jordan River, right? I once did Miluim in Gilgal. I couldn't understand why anybody would want to live there. But there are people. There are people who live there. I guess they're air-conditioned. Possible. Einena mitzvah sheyitzavenu HaKadosh Baruch Hu la'asot kein atah. Should I read that again? Because it says something about the Torah. It says anytime Arishon says something about the Torah, I think it's noteworthy. He says, Einena mitzvah sheyitzavenu HaKadosh Baruch Hu la'asot kein atah. Even though it says in the, in the Pesach, what does it say? Right, that's uh, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, exactly the same language that is used at the end of Parshat Mishpatim. When God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, go back up on the mountain, you were up on the mountain for a day, now go back up on the mountain, you'll be there for 40 days and 40 nights, and you'll get whatever you get. Right? That's what HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu in Mishpatim. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch says right here. So would I be terribly uh, uh, at a loss if I would say, oh, God is telling Moshe Rabbeinu to do it. So the Rabban says, no. No. Einenu mitzvah sheyitzavenu HaKadosh Baruch Hu la'asot keinata. He's not talking about that. Because if it was a mitzvah, then obviously Moshe Rabbeinu would have to do it right away. And it's also obvious that he didn't do it right away. He didn't go up on the mountain until the end of the Torah, which is some time. What does it mean? Ta'ale. Ta'ale means you will at some undetermined time, go up on the Har Ha'avarim. So, so this is not a big deal, right? The Pasuk says, Aleil Har which the Rabban says, is it Sivui? Is it a command? Right, we'll call that Sivui, right? There's perfect and imperfect, and there's also Sivui. So this is a command. God commanded Moshe to do it. So the Rabban says, that can't be, because Moshe Rabbeinu actually only went up at the end, right at the end of his life, which is ten parashiyot later, at the end of his other bracha. And so, since God commanded Moshe Rabbeinu to divide up the land, so he says, well, there's a different thing here. He says, even though God, since God commanded Moshe Rabbeinu to divide up the land of Canaan amongst the families in the different tribes, but he said, he said, 
הודיעו, הקודש ברוך הוא טוב משה רבנו, כי לא על ידך תרלה ותופי, you'll do it. You're just getting the theoretical information which you will pass on ultimately to Yoshua Benun. You're not going to do it. Right? כי אתה תעלה לראש הר העברים, טרם שיסעו ישראל מארץ מואב, because you're going to go up on this mountain called Avarim before B'nai Yisrael leave uh, the land of Moab. V'tamut bo. And then you're going to die there. V'lo yigiyacham in ha'aretz levadari. I tell you, the Rabban was not a poet, but sometimes he says something that is really, really wonderful. Listen to this. ולא יגיעך מן הארץ, לא יגיעך. להגיע means you won't reach it, you won't attain it. לא יגיעך, you're not going to get anything from the land of Canaan, לבד הראייה. And that's, that's just wonderful. Because he sort of gave me a hint about the other question that we had. What was the question that we had? We said, why is it that God wants Moshe Rabbeinu to see the land? What, what, is, what sort of compensation is that? That's the word I was looking for. What sort of compensation? Moshe Rabbeinu wants to go to Eretz Israel. We don't know why exactly. Because we know that he's going to die very soon. He's very old and he's going to die. So, okay, but he wants to go to Eretz Israel. What does God give him as a compensation? Gives him yeah. You'll see Eretz Yisrael. I say, well, what, what, what do you get out of that? Something. What? The sea is also something. So he's, okay, he's also something. <laughs> it's like, you know, an unknown substituted for by an unknown. A guy say, I don't know what it is. So you say, well, it's something. So here we are. Yeah, sometimes you get something to say, I'd love to see it before I die, right? You use that expression. The last week we had... I didn't say that. I never, I never said that. Well, we had people who, you know, last week we saw the, the impact of seeing... What did we see? Last week, we had the impact of seeing the tribe, seeing the tents, right? Just didn't experience it, but he saw it had impact. I'd like to understand it better. You know what came to mind? Here, let's just finish this. In other words, the, he brings a proof that sometimes the Torah sounds like it's talking about now, but it's really talking about the future. So that means that the Torah said, It didn't mean now, even though it sounds like that's what it means. But it meant sometime in the future. When the time comes, when the time comes, when the time comes in the parasha, the last parasha in the Torah, Vizot HaBracha. I want to tell you what occurred to me. What it was that occurred to me. I was thinking uh, in shul, Ben Gavra Le Gavra, you know, you know what I mean? Like during Kriyata Torah. I go to shul no one talks. Can you believe that? No one says a word. It's a Jewish well, I have never checked to see what the nature of the, uh, of the people in the shul is. So, so yeah, so, so I, uh, well, maybe. So, so I learn in between the, the aliyahs in self-defense, of course. No, but it's really, it's really uh, great.
was really great. You know, the Ger Hasidim, when the Imri Emes came to Eretz Yisrael, he said, look, we have no choice. We have to stop fooling around. So what were, what were they fooling around? They used to daven at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, Shabbos morning. So the Imri Emes said, it's over. Those days are over. We're going to daven at 7.30 every day. So they said, the Hasidim said, what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do? You know, uh, if we dive it at 10 or at 11, the day, that takes care of the day. If we dive it at 7.30, I mean, what are we going to do the rest of the day? And he said, okay, before Kriyasa Torah, you're going to learn for an hour and a half. And that's what they do. They do it to this very day. That's the power of a Rebbe. You know, if, if you're not a Rebbe, then you just know everybody's going to disagree with you. If you are a Rebbe, you know everyone's going to agree with you. Both of, them, both of those states are problematic. But, uh, so in any, event, in any event, that's what the Ramban wants us to know. He wants to know two things. One is that the word Alei doesn't mean now, but it means anytime, at some time in the future. And that what happened to Moshe Rabbein, he emphasized the fact, he says, That means you're going to get something. You're going to get your iya. So what occurred to me in Shul, last Shabbos, Ben Gabra Le Gabra, right, occurred to me, there's a Gemara at the beginning of Bab Metziah. Everybody knows the first mission of Bab Metziah. Shalai Malchusim Betala, Zel Mekulashalim, Zel Mekulashalim. So there's a psak in the mission. Like, what, what's the case? The case is two people come to court. Each one's holding on to the talus. Talus means a cloak. And uh, each one says, it's mine. So the Mishnah says that you do, you divide it up, or you have a shvur, you don't have a shvur. That's what the Mishnah says. The, the Gemara entertains the idea that it might have been, it might have been that each one of them claimed that they saw it. And, and, and questions whether seeing is a kinyan. Whether seeing is a kinyan. There is an opinion of some Rishonim that goes like this. How do, how do I understand the, the way to understand the Gemara is this, that everybody agrees that seeing is not a Kenyan. You can't, you can't go around and like look at things <laughs> and say it's mine because I looked at it. But the question is, let's say you see there's, a, there's an object lying, a lost object lying in the street, and you look at it, and then sometime later you go over and pick it up. So there's a spirit to say that maybe the Kenyan, in other words, the time that you assumed ownership is retroactive to the time that you saw it. Not that the seeing by itself is a Kenyan, but it begins a process which ends with you picking it up so that you could then say that de facto the Kenyan might have been made when you first, when you first saw it. So th th this, this Gemara like bothered me. I mean, it bothered me that I couldn't fit it in so well until I found this Pasuk. If you turn the page, there's a Pasuk in Dibra uh, Yamin. But before the, that, that Pasuk, I just want to tell you what it's talking about. The, in Dibra Yamin, in Dibra Yamin, you know, which is about the, the period of the kings, in uh, just it's a different, may have come from the there are reason to think that the Reyamim came from the court of the kings, whereas uh, Malachim, the books of Malachim, were written by the prophets. 
It was like an independent source. So the Pesach says, Vayadel David v'sarei ha-tzava l'avodah l'vnei asaf v'heiman v'yedutun anib'im v'kinorat. So these were the people who worked in the Beit HaMikdash, divided by families. And one of the families was Heiman. That was his name, right? Heiman. And then, uh, then there's further information about each of these people. Asaf, Yedutun. Uh, and then we get to Heiman. And then the Pasuk tells us that Bede Heiman, he had sons. And their names were Bukiyahu, Matanyahu, Uziel, Shvuel, Viyirmot, Hananel, Hanani, El Ata, Gidalti, Viramamti, Eze, Yishpikashe. There's a whole, a whole list of, uh, of children that Haman had. Right? All of them had funny names, but that's, that's what the Pasuk says. Then we come to our Pasuk, the Pasuk that's on your sheet. It was Heman was a Jose, like a prophet. Jose HaMelech, Larim Keren, to be able to uh, establish uh, God's word. So God gave Heman. A lot of sons and three and three daughters, right? That's what that's what the pasuk says. Now you look at Rashi. The Rashi is there, right? The Rashi there. Jose Hamelach with the Lakim Larim Karen. That's the that's the Rashi. Rashi, Karen Hanivu Karen is like a, a chauffeur that was used, they used it for prophecy. Shemit and he did this for the benefit of the king. Dugmat, uh, is another pasuk that is similar. Vayarem Karen Meshicho. Mashiach is the king, and Karen Meshicho is the, the chauffeur that blasts for the benefit of the king. Right, it said that God gave Haman all of these children. Right? Fourteen sons and three daughters. So Rashi is dealing with the fact that in this Pasuk, in Divrei Hayamim, it says, it says, uh, why does it say that? Why does it say that God gave him 14 sons and three daughters? I mean, they don't know about biology. Oh, these 14 sons were special, according to Rashi. They were all able to be like their fathers. They were all, each of them, able to be, able to be Rashi Mishmerot. Mishmerot are the people who went in to do the Avodah and the Beit HaMikdash, according to an order, according to an order that was determined by Shmuel HaNavi and David HaMelech, according to the Gemara. Dugma, Vayitein Hashem Laherayom, 
Vatelet ben. Right? The same thing he said about Rut HaMoaviyah. Rut HaMoaviyah. The Pesach says, God gave her pregnancy and she had a son. Im lo shehaita matana zo mehashem i efshah sheyolid boaz sheyazakeid. If not for the fact that God gave this present to Rut HaMoaviyah. So, so uh, uh, what does Rashi, what does Rashi say? It's not biology. Sometimes it's obvious that it is a present from God. So why was it a present from God with the 14 sons that uh, Haman had? Because each one of them was extremely capable and talented and able to be Rosh HaMishmer. Why is it that the pregnancy of Ruth is called a matana from Hashem? Because Boaz ordinarily would not have fathered any children at his, at his age. Now, you ready? <laughs> Here it is, like hidden away in the most, the oddest place you could imagine in Divrei Amin. What, what is the book, what is Divrei Amin book in the Tanakh? What, where is it? Yeah, where is it? Divrei Amin, it's at the end. The very end, no one ever gets there, <laughs> ever. Uh, and here's Rashi. Rashi got there. And look what Rashi says. Im lo me'et Hashem ha'itah He says, And God showed him the entire land. Remember we saw that Pasuk? He saw that the north and the center and the south and, and Yericho. Yes? Yeah. You remember that? This is the Rashi. He says it must have been a miracle because nobody can see the entirety of Eretz Yisrael standing on a mountaintop that is opposite Yericho. So that means that according to this Rashi, wherever it says, and you will see it, it means it's a miracle that you will see it. So Moshe Rabbeinu was mistaken. He thought that the, that the uh, uh, oath that God had taken had been abrogated, but that was wrong. It hadn't been abrogated, but it had been mitigated, modified to include the fact that he would see all of Eretz Israel, right, all of Eretz Israel, And if, if it's reasonable to connect that Gemara that I mentioned in Baba Metziah, where somehow Re'iya is a Kenyan, so it brings Moshe Rabbeinu closer to what he really wanted. What he wanted was that his division of, of, of the Shvatim should be for real should be really in Eretz Yisrael. In order to do that, he had to somehow get this vision of Eretz He had to see it. He says, you see that? That goes to this one, this one goes to that one. And this is where this tribe goes. And that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe, to Moshe Rabbeinu. So we've sort of solved two problems, two different problems. One problem had to do with the Harabarim, had to do with Harabarim. And the other problem had to do with Re'iyah with the, the emphasis you have again and again on Re'iyah, and the answer to the first questions in the Ramban that we learned right there on the spot, and the, and the Ramban also hints to the fact that the, 
that the re'iyah was special. There was something special about the, the re'iyah. But mostly it's in Mizrashi, in Dibra Yomim, which uh, is kind of elusive. But if you look hard, you find it. Have a wonderful time. Thanks. The stone is in uh, the Louvre. She looked it up, right? Oh, the Louvre? Okay. You Googled it? I can't say anything anymore if I'm not, because I don't usually know anything too perfectly.